Hello, everybody. Hello. I'm so happy. I'm happy. I'm happy that you're here. Welcome to Burgers, Beers and Books. I'm Ben Hobson, and uh, this is where I interview your favorite authors about their favorite books. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy. Happy that I'm here. I've uh, just recovered from COVID and just being locked inside and all those sorts of things and uh, feeling glad to be on the other side of that. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a full-on thing at the moment out in the world, so I hope you're all doing okay. Um, before I get into introducing the author for this month, I do have some news that my novel, which I think I've talked about before, but I have a new novel. It's coming out in February next year. Um, it's called The Death of John Lacey. I just sent off the proof pages for it, so it's all locked in and ready to go. I'm really excited to have it come out. And uh, I guess I'll probably be doing something on this podcast coming up and leading up to that. But um, we'll see what we see what happens. See what happens. I'm interested. I don't know what it's like to be a podcaster and have a book enter the world. So we'll see how we all go from there. But this month, very exciting. I have Paige Clark. Uh, Paige and I actually share a friend named Mike, and he's the one who's introduced us. So I'm extremely excited to talk to her today. Um, she has a short story collection out called She Is Haunted with Alan and Unwin, um, which got some fantastic reviews. I read a review that said it was the best debut they'd read in that entire year. So she's an amazing person and short stories seem to be her real craft. She writes in academia and things of that nature. So she's awesome. She's a teacher. She's a researcher. Um, yeah, really excited to chat with Paige and I hope you enjoy our chat too. Remember to hit me up on socials. Um, if you search Ben Hobson Twitter and stuff, I'm sure you'll find me. I'm the guy with the beard. Um, but yeah, without further ado, here's Paige. Oh, oh no. Out you go. Why are you in here? What? <laughs> sorry, my, I'm so what? sorry. My dog, I didn't even realize my dog was in this room. <laughs> and then he made a sound. I'm like, what are you doing in here? You just um you just mentioned having a new six month old, so I was wondering whether or not you were saying that to the six month old. <laughs> what are you doing? Get out. No, no. I mean, I would that that does seem like something that would happen to a new mum though. It's like your baby is just in the room mm. and you don't even realize it. Yeah, yeah. Completely understandable. Is is your six month old crawling yet be near crawling right um i don't know if he's that near crawling maybe you <laughs> okay. have, you've got kids right maybe your okay. kids were early movers maybe i don't know it's all different for every kid right i had um i know a friend's kid who didn't crawl at all he just mm. he, he took until like a year and then he just stood up and started walking around and just he skipped the whole thing which was really they were really cons- you know how when you're a new parent you just sort of do you Google every single thing that happens with your kid? And you're like, is this normal? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was already a bit of a Googler before. And I think I've just gone to Google, Googler yeah. overdrive. So it's really not, not good. Yeah. There's a few times we went when Charlie was very little, we went to the emergency room because I was freaking out because there was one time he had like a lump on his chest. Mm. I was like, oh no, oh no. You know, I took him to the emergency room. We were there for about four hours and we got in there like, it's fine. It's just a normal thing. Stop freaking out. And they were really nice. But yeah, yeah my tendency is to over Google all medical mm. emergency like ailments and then freak out whenever whatever answer I get. I always it's the worst possible thing. And 
Yep. Yep. I'm like that too. My partner's a real cool customer though. So we're kind of a bit of a, yep. like, have a bit of a clash because he's like, it's nothing. And I'm like, no, that's it. We need to go get a tetanus shot. Everything is yep. gone pear shaped. That's perfect though. That's what, that's the same with my wife and I, she's the cool customer and everything's fine. I'm like, no, we need to go and you sort of balance each other out in the end. I think mm. I hope. Um, but how are you? How is everything? You were just describing how your, your wonderful space that you have there. <laughs> but how are you, Paige? How is everything going in your life? How's writing? All that sort of stuff. How's writing? Oh, I'm at that, that point of writing, which is not writing, but I do count it as writing. The sort of gathering ideas and fermenting things and deciding what I'm going to do next. Uh, so I try not to beat myself up when I'm not writing. And then mm -hmm. I've gotten really good at not beating myself up, maybe too good at it. So I don't necessarily do as much writing as I should because of, of how easy I go on myself. But, but yeah, I'm in that sort of pre pre writing, writing. Yeah, well, that's even that's an accomplishment because you've got your six month old and that's, that's a fairly drastic life change. I know that it takes, a very long time to sort of pick things back up but um you finding that balance okay like or you know i when it, when we had our newborns i always found i was just sleepy all the time because you just could not get them to go to sleep and so then i'd feel guilty and then you know i don't know whether you go through those cycles no i think i've just accepted that this is material that this is all material and so i just need to live through it and not put pressure on myself yeah. To into anything cohesive yet I do try to remember things you know by jotting something down or trying to capture a moment but um, I don't let it interfere I guess with being present with oh, the little awesome. baby you sound um, really well balanced with the whole thing well done <laughs> oh no no I have terrible <laughs> I have terrible anxiety don't worry no but with the writing with the writing I've been able to balance the writing well yeah, yeah nice well that's awesome um can we talk very quickly just before we kick off into talking about your book, which we'll just announce is called Snake by Kate Jennings, which was an awesome read. I'm really excited to talk about it. But um, can we talk very quickly about our mutual friend, Mike, who, who, <laughs> who set us up on this podcast, Michael Hayden? How do you know him? How do you know Mike? Well, Mike is just a friend of my partner's and now my friend. And I really just know him because we go out for dumplings every once in a while. I don't know if I've ever really seen Mike when we weren't going out for dumplings. So that's really, <laughs> but we've gone out for dumplings a lot. That kind of sounds like it's not a close friendship, but it's amazing like the intimacy, you know, that you have with someone that eats a lot of chili oil and eats a lot of dumplings. He is, um, he's a very easy person to get very close to though. Very quickly, I find it's not, you don't often talk about stuff that's just, surface level it's always very deep with him i find yeah he's um he's he's great and i think now after multiple times of going out for dumplings i finally realize exactly how much chili oil he needs which is <laughs> how, how much? serious he is about it oh he needs you know that he always asks for a big thing of chili oil and they never bring enough and it ends up being i think around eight small chili oils is one <laughs> mike chili oil size you got it exactly calculated. That's great. Um, uh, so can we very quickly talk about why you've chosen this book, um, Snake by Kate Jennings? It was, uh, it's, 
Very interesting choice. I'm interested. Like, when did you first come to it? And then why have you chosen it? Why is it special for you? So I first came across a book about <laughs> this book. A book about this book. Okay. So one, Eric Jensen. Is it Eric Jensen? Yes, Eric Jensen, Kate Jennings. I always say Eric Jennings, Kate Jennings, but no, Eric Jensen. Yep. <laughs> from the Saturday paper has a book, Writers on Writing. Through yeah, I've read a few of those. I haven't read and that one though. And there was one about Snake, about this book and Kate Jennings. So I read an excerpt of that and it was it was amazing. And I love reading about writing. It's mm. kind of one of my favorite things to read about. Yes. So I was sort of hooked on reading about that, the making of that book. Don't ask me about it because I can't remember anything about that book now. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, no worries. But... That was sort of my intro. I was studying creative writing at the time. So it was just kind of like a staple together. You know, the booklets that they give you at uni when you're studying creative writing. It's just like badly scanned copy of a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sort of came to it in that way. And then, yeah, I I read it. Um, I thought it was incredible. I bought a copy for everyone that I know, which is two people. Um, I bought two copies for two people so that all my kind of close writing friends would read the book. Wow. Um, and then I reread it again. And then now I've reread it a third time to speak with you. So it was just one of those books that really stuck with me. Mm. I would go so far as to say it's one of my favorite books, but I think in terms of a novel, especially, um, it does really interesting things. It's formally experimental. The mm. language at the sentence level is so rich. It's short, it's punchy. Mm. I think it really captures a lot about Australian life yeah. or so-called Australia life. I think that the sort of idea of kind of whiteness in the bush, I think it, it portrays that in a really interesting way. So that's just the start of the things that I like about this book. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely, it definitely captures that. Yeah, you're right. It definitely captures Australia, but it's not like it's the thing. A lot of things struck me about it, but one of the things was that it felt, it felt really effortless. Like it felt like there was not a lot of work being done to do all these extraordinary things in this complexity. Um, it was very elegant and very subtle. And I know there's lots of work that goes into refining something down to that level, but it really did feel effortless when I was reading it. Did you get that as well? Yes. And I think that this is the trick about great writing is that you can't see how it's done. It's that sleight of hand. Mm. Um, that's so... <laughs> Which is annoying too, because I want I want to know how are you doing this <laughs> exactly, and that's something because I I teach a bit of creative writing, and that's one thing I always tell my students. I say don't look at your favorite book mm -hmm. because it's too hard to see how it's done. Um, sometimes I'll Google, you know who, and this is me getting back to loving Google. I'll Google who likes who recommends my favorite books, mm -hmm. and then those writers that kind of next tier, I'll read their books. And in their copying of the work, I feel like I can see how it's done a bit more. Sometimes it's a bit more clunky <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I see here this sort of parallel, but it's not as seamless. So I'll copy this person. Um, and I think that that can be a workaround. Do you feel like that's a thing that you, when you are starting out as an author, do you feel like that's a wise choice to sort of, I guess, emulate 
people whose work you admire is to sort of try on their voices a little bit to figure out your own thing? I think it can be depending on how debilitating writing is <laughs> for you because for me writing is completely like I, I don't I'm not the kind of person that just sits down okay right mm -hmm. as I said I'm in a pre-writing phase and that can last for four years so it's really difficult for me to kind of put the pedal to the metal and get things down on the page so sometimes it's just a way to start and I think for writers that maybe struggle with that, um, that that kind of mimicry, it can just be a way to get started. Yeah. And, you know, don't pull a John Hughes or something. <laughs> you know, you have to make it your own. But I think that, you know, I would love it if I copied Snake and wrote a novel that was exactly like Kate Jennings. That's not going to happen. It ultimately kind of becomes transformed and comes out in my own voice. Yeah. So much so that it actually irritates me. Sometimes when I read my work, I'm like, oh, it just sounds like me. I oh, want wow. it to sound okay. like someone else. You know, I want it to sound like these other people that I aspire to, but no, it just sounds like me. Yeah. Do you do you feel like when we're talking about how elegant and beautiful this this novel is and Kate's writing is, do you feel that have you ever felt that way about your own work? Can you do that? Do you know what I mean? Can you take a step away from your own work and look at your own thing and go and have the same response? I don't know whether you can. I don't know. I sometimes have it when I am, am writing. And then sometimes I'll get it when I read my work back, but it's never about the same, <laughs> never about the same thing. <laughs> Usually the things that I feel that about when I'm writing, I come back and I'm like, oh God, no, what were you thinking? Yeah. Um, and it'll be something really simple that just I didn't think too much about and I'll come back to it and I'll be like, this is just really elegant and, and how it should be. Mm. But I think it goes back to, I don't know, some deep psychological thing that I do, which is that I've, you know, I both flood myself with good feelings and I, then I'm also my biggest critic. So, you know, from one moment, I'm a genius. I'm amazing. I'm incredible. I'm the best writer in the world. And the next it's like, why do you even do this? Um, it's <laughs> terrible. Just quit. But it's like a sentence by sentence, just about right. You can be up yes. and then down and then, yeah. I think, yeah, I wrote the most recent thing I wrote was an essay. Um, and I, I came out of finished the essay and I went to my partner and I said, I think that either, you know, I'm a genius or this is completely nonsensical. Like it's, it's just one or the other. And he said, I think it's probably neither. Like, I think that it's actually <laughs> probably just fine. And that really brought me down to earth because I was like, ah, yeah. In my head, I think I was really leaning towards genius, yeah. but with this sort of question mark. So. Yeah. And I guess all that stuff's interpretive too. Like, you know, it was actually really interesting and illuminating for me. I was reading some reviews of this book and they were really divided. They were mm. really either five stars, best book I've ever read. And there were some ones that were just like, don't get it. Nothing happens. Uh, mm. Not for me. And, you know, whether or not we're the own best judge of our own work, I guess it's interpretive, right? Everyone has a different thing they, they gravitate towards, I guess. My rule of thumb is the best books have 3.5 stars on Goodreads nice nice that's yep that's a good that's a good one i think both of mine are slightly more than that actually so that's sad for me i'm I have to <laughs> have to work on that have to bring yeah, it down it's a good rule for me to have my book is sitting sitting at 3.49 so nice. I, can't if I made that rule up before or after my book came 
You're right on there. Um, can we talk really quickly? Uh, sorry, we sort of duck around. I've just got lots of questions for oh, you. I, um, I saw that we actually share an agency, which I didn't know about before mm -hmm. starting to, you know, read a little bit about you. Um, we're both with Left Bank Literary and I know you're with um, Grace. And I was wondering what sort of an impact she's had on your work as well. If we're talking about, um, mm -hmm. I guess if we're talking about, you know, uh, feedback from editors and agents and things like that, like does she have a big presence in helping you craft your stuff or is she more of a conduit? How does that sort of... Uh, relationship work I think that my relationship with Grace is it's one of the most important relationships in my writing life mm -hmm. um, if not the most important relationship and I think that for me she really is you know that first reader like someone that I can really trust um, to read that work and and be really you know brutally honest with me but I think just like who I would picture in my head as writing the book for. I actually usually picture myself, which sounds really, like I'm sounding like an egomaniac, but no, maybe no, I just have a bit of egomania yeah, yeah. in them. But I usually kind of picture myself where then maybe Grace is the kind of physical embodiment of that self, like out in the world and then does things with the work. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what she does. She's vital then. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and then we're talking about your work. Can we talk just your relationship? Um, because you've got your short story collection, She Is Haunted Out, and it was released last year. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And I can see it's getting lots of awesome reviews. And I actually read a review that said it was the, what was it? It was the best debut they'd read all year, which was incredible, right? Like, I've, I don't know whether, I don't know how many reviews I've read that say something like that. <laughs> But um, how much of Kate, how much of Kate Jennings is in your, is in your work? Like, can you trace sort of elements of what she does into what you do? Oh, um, I think I would like there to be more Kate in my work. <laughs> I think some of the sentences, like these kind of zingers that she has are so incredible. I think that there's similar themes, but I don't know if that's, it's kind of hard to say like what came first. Uh, the chicken or the egg because do I love this book because it has similar themes to my work in some ways I'm not really sure I I mean I'm sure that all the work that you read bleeds in yeah, but really. I haven't yet sat down with this book and been really intentional about using it as an influence I definitely will be as I'm kind of looking um to maybe writing something that is a bit longer or a bit more experimentally different than what I've already done because sure. the point of view shifts and the um yeah the sections in this I find really interesting I love the kind of poem like headings of each chapter yeah, that sort awesome. of inform how you're meant to read each of the sections yeah it's so so great uh but in terms of like a direct influence I don't have that whereas there's stories you know in my short story collection where I'm like well this is a direct ripoff of <laughs> and I won't you know, give anything away. Or I think a nicer way of putting it is like, you know, a call and response is sort of my response to a story yeah. or work that's already out there in the world. Sure. Um, is there anything in, in this book in particular that you would like, like, a, a, yeah, would you like to have in your own work? Something that you hope when someone reads your stuff, they have a similar response to, even if it's just the, I know that you're, you're known for your sort of, um, I don't know whether the word is terse, but I don't know whether, I don't know how to put it well. Short, sharp sentences. 
Would that be accurate? Do you is that how you write as well? That's um, yeah, I think that's I don't mind being called terse. That that works for me. But I think that one of my favorite writers, a short story writer, Amy Hempel, said that the best compliment that she received was you leave all the right things out. Oh, and I a... would also say that about this book. Yes, um, that I think that Kate Jennings leaves all the right things out. So that is one another kind of takeaway that I would like to bring. And I think that that's a really hard balance, actually, because when you are, you know, doing this work of cutting or, or leaving a lot of things out, mm. there is so much room for um, ambiguity or for the reader to get lost or for leaving too much out. And, and so finding that balance. And I think that this book does that so perfectly. Yeah, it is. It's a very, it's an, it's incredibly difficult balance, isn't it? To sort of, and Kate, I mean, she's brilliant at it where you understand the characters very intimately and very deeply and you understand sort of what motivates them, but it is more like you're watching things unfold. It's less like you fully comprehend everything that's going on. You're just sort of watching these people and how they interact. It's such a character study. Um, but yeah, it is very hard. I know that I, you know, when you're writing and you need a character to do something because they're motivated by something and you don't want to just sit there and say he needed to go to the store because, you know, you can't just make it all clunky. You have to make it elegant. It's very tricky. It's a very tricky balance. Um, and yeah, always erring on the side of cutting, I guess. Right. Which is, I guess, what you're saying is that that's the sort of thing you like to do is 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 that the sort of thing like you're less interested in the internal character um thinking pondering about what's motivating them you're more interested in the actions the characters take no i don't think i'm less and i think in this book it'd be the same i mean i can't really speak for kate jennings and her craft but um it's not that i'm less interested in motivation i think that for me i find that motivation or intention or emotion that those things come across for me more clearly or more true in some way, whatever that means, um, if I don't spell it out. So by being yeah. less explicit, that I find that really kind of, um, you know, characters saying what they feel, I never trust them. I, yeah. So I don't, and I don't want you, the reader, to trust that either. So I think that actually you can get away with that. You know, the character can say how they're feeling, but I want there to be that tension between um, what they say and what they actually feel or do. Yeah. Um, Without or saying, leave it out altogether. It. Yeah. And that, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. It's not a, it's, yeah, it's a very tricky balance. And I think Kate does it perfectly. Um, have you read her other book? I saw that she's got another book, uh, another novel, at least I should say, called Moral Hazard. Have you read that book? Yes, and it is just as good, arguably better, depending on who in my writing group you ask, because I also made them read that book. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for me, Snake, I just really connected with because I love a book about, you know, a mother, a mother-daughter duo is my is my weakness. Uh -huh. um, but Moral Hazard, yeah, it has, I guess, a lot of the sort of signature Kate Jennings sharpness. Yeah, I saw it was actually, it had a lot of awards. Moral Hazard seems to be the one that's a bit more critically acclaimed than Snake was. Um, and she passed away in 2021 Both, as I well. Think very... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, not, no. Um, 
I was just going to say, I think both are pretty autobiographical books mm. Um, mm. And, and quite motivated by that. But yeah, she, she passed away, which um, was sad, sad news because we won't be getting any more writing. Yeah, and she she wasn't she didn't have a lot of especially novels, especially um she just had the two, right? And she was she was a memoirist and she was an essayist and she'd actually lived in New York, is that correct? Since nineteen seventy nine. And I know that you are from America as well. Am I wrong on that? Yes, I am. No, that's correct. I'm from America. So maybe that's another reason why we're sort of like ships in the night. We've come opposite paths so I'm from the US moved here and yeah. she's opposite and maybe that's part of the instinct that is um something that you know when was this book written in the 90s that sort of 90s American lit element of it that I yeah. <laughs> I'm drawn to um which is horrible because I don't want to be have that Australian cringe but maybe I've already gotten it in only 12 years of living here mm-hmm Sorry, only 12 years of living here. In Australia, like that sort of cringe for, you know how Australians are. The cultural cringe. cringe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, you do. I don't know why I'm explaining that to you. See, no, that's no. how Australian I've become. I think I'm the expert now <laughs> on Australia. I'm not. No, it is a thing. I think a lot of our, our readers in Australia, I mean, there's so many readers who love reading Australian um, literature, but we do, we are kind of swamped by American authors, I think, and British authors. They seem to be um, the biggest sellers, the biggest learners from from libraries. And um, we have a really awesome literary scene here, I think. I mean, you know, but um, we certainly don't have the readership of a lot of um, huge popular authors like James Patterson and people like that. Bit of a shame. That's that cultural cringe thing, maybe. Um, she, I, I, she had a lot to say. I, I loved, think, I love finding stuff that she, um, the authors talk about when they're talking about writing. But she said um, she had a, a poem, and and it was in a collection of hers, which was sort of like collected writings. It was called "Trouble: Evolution of a Radical," and um, she said in this poem, she said, "Saying simple things." well or complicated things simply is an art that is fast disappearing i really found that really striking because that's what this book is to me um i think that it's very complex in its ideas but it's very simply put it's not complicated it's not fussy do you agree with that summation of this book i mean we've sort of been talking about that a fair bit but is that one of the things that draws you to this book Yes, and I think that that probably, I mean, maybe that's another reason why I'm so drawn to this book that I think that I also am drawn to writing like that, though I think that, you know, maybe contrary to that poem, I think that that's really my preference. I don't think that that makes writing good. Like, I think Mm. that just makes writing, writing that I like. And I think that um, I hate that sort of divisiveness between, I guess, kind of like minimalism or maximalism. but it's really just for me about liking it or not in taste um, as opposed to it being better, better writing or not. So I think in that way, maybe I sort of differ from, from Kate. Um, yeah, and I that's think interesting. that what, yeah, I just like this book because I like those things. Does that make it good? I yeah, don't know. That's, that's, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Cause yeah, I have, there are those books that go like the maximalist book. Um, and when I read those, I'm just in awe of how they do it so well and they help us see through things. And 
they have all this complication and difficult things in there, but yet you're still somehow um, understanding what's going on and they put you exactly where you want. You're right. You're right. There's the, the divisiveness is not helpful at all, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book was first published in 96. And then, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about that first and the very last section of the book was written in second person. I've never read, and this is maybe, mm. I'm not well read, but uh, the second person, I've never read uh, anything in second person. I actually found it really cool. What do you think of it? I- well, I have read a bit in second person. So I've read um, Laurie Moore's short story collection called Self Help is sort of written mostly in second person as kind of advice, like this is what you should do, but it, but they're short stories. Mm. And so I guess that's sort of the clever conceit of that book. And I think that I have seen it in short stories here and there. There's that famous, it's not Brett Easton Ellis, but it's the other guy. It's called Bright Lights, Bright City. I don't know. It's it's like a Brett Easton Ellis ripoff, or maybe he was first, but yep. that book is completely in second person. So I am, a, am familiar with it, but I think that what is so cleverly done here is that not the entire book is in second person because I think it would become really exhausting. It's that it's only the short front section and it's the last section Mm. and that the U shifts um, because I think that's part of where the cleverness is as well, that it's sort of in the beginning, you think that this is the book addressed sort of to the father, um, but then as it becomes clear that he's kind of peripheral to the family in so many ways, um, that really ultimately the book is addressed to someone else. I won't, I won't say it as a spoiler. Is there other spoilers in this? Or? Well, it's a book. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a published in 96. I guess people listen, if you're going to go read the book, go stop the podcast now and go and read. But yeah, it, I think we can say that the ending, <laughs> which is two decades old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two decades. Um, but yeah, it finishes from Irene's perspective, um, but second person from her perspective. Right. And that's, um, you sort of, yeah, you sort of gradually, the, the book sort of slowly shifts you to having her be the main, the main focus of the story and Rex sort of fades into the background a fair bit, which is so clever. Um, it is because that's, I mean, it just makes perfect sense with, with who Irene is. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, do you, do you labor over that sort of thing when you're talking about like perspective, when you're starting to work on a new story, do you, do you labor over, should this be third or first person? Should this be omniscient or close or, you know, how, how often do you do you experiment with those sorts of forms? I think about it quite a lot. And I guess like as a short story writer, um, that's something it's kind of almost a starting point because you start things so often, which is, what I like about short stories because I just want to start something and finish it. I really enjoy that kind of conciseness of of the form as well um, in terms of time. But because you're always starting, you're like, how is this going to sound? What's this voice? And oftentimes a voice will come to me that sounds so annoying. And I hate when artists give that advice, like, oh, I just woke up and there was a song in my head. because how can, how can you possibly replicate that? But sometimes I do hear how the voice will sound. And usually I can tell if it's, you know, in first person or third person. And I don't know 
with with point of view I become very attached to it it's actually the one thing in the editing process of my book I really push back against a lot so there were suggestions to change the point of view for a couple of stories and I did this exercise where I'm like well just try it I'm trying to be flexible and easygoing and so I changed the first page um of the the tense and the point of view and I sent it out to people I'm like which do you prefer um you know I'll just make the decision based on the audience and one of the stories everyone agreed with the tense it was already in and the point of view and the other story everyone's like change it it's better in the other tense and I said no actually this is how it sounds in my head sorry (laughs) there were some clunky things about it um because of shifts in time but I was just kind of determined and I think that as a writer that's actually maybe the most important thing is your instinct and you just sticking with your guns. So I think you can overthink those Mm. 10 things um, and kind of be like, should it be this? Should it be that? But if it just sounds or feels right to you, then I think that's an instinct that you should follow as well. Yeah. That's so good. That's um, very encouraging. I think. So I do, I do think, you know, you, you question your every choice as a, as a writer, you question like, is this the right thing? Is this going to make the most sense to the most amount of people? And will people understand what I'm doing here? So it's really encouraging to say, you know, I have taste too. Like the reason I got into writing Mm -hmm. was because I had good taste. Right. And so you've got something there and it's okay to go with your gut on certain decisions, I think. Yes, even if you see, like at one point in time when I was just about finished with the book and a lot of the stories are first person, present tense, there was something on the internet that that was like, writers, can you please stop writing in first person, present tense? And you kind of get that heart sinking feeling of like, oh no, (laughs) but it's fine. Those stories needed to be in first person, present tense. And you know what, maybe that was a trend in the 80s and 90s that some people have moved past, but I'm still there writing in the present tense. Yeah, you still like it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Can I ask you this question? This is a strange question. Do you think this book has a plot? (laughs) It's a good question, right? (laughs) No, uh, I just... I guess it depends on what you mean by mm. plot. Yeah. So how would you how would you define the plot in this this novel if it has it certainly is not conventional, I would say, mm. but but how would you describe I guess how would you describe the story of this book? I I mean, I think it just kind of captures mm. this one family and a sort of short history moment in time. And I think that for me, that is a plot, but I am not one that needs a lot of plot. So if you are listening to this and you are someone that needs a lot of plot, then I would say for you, this has no plot. But for (laughs) me, this sort of subtle, um, I guess, Irene, the mother figure sort of taking over Mm. kind of like this snake um, and sort of just this sort of poisoning this family and, and just being kind of insidious that to me is more than enough plot. And I would say, you know, I think it has like a lot of arcs. Um, I'm invested. Mm. Like I said, I thought there was a spoiler. So maybe that answers the question itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it was a big comment. Um, I think it's a, such a character. It's such a, yeah, it's such a portrait, right? It's such a, like you said, it captures this family 
through the short history of their lives. And it really, I think essentially as well, like the structure where you have very, very short chapters with those poetic headings, and they just like these little fragments of a life and they don't necessarily all interrelate, but they do in a really deep character way, unless in a, like a conventional, you know, um, Chekhov's gun, like he puts a gun down in the first chapter and 10 chapters later, it comes to fruition. It's sort of the setups and payoffs. I don't know whether there's, it's much more of a character thing, right? It reminded me of the Coen brothers. I don't know whether you watch any film at all, but there was this film called Inside Lewin Davis, which was about a folk singer in the 1960s. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's, it's just him trying to exist and it's just him going about his existence. And there's, it's a very, very loose plot, but it's such a rich character study of this, this musician in the 1960s trying to make it as a folk singer. Um, I actually really love reading books like that. And um, I don't know, do you, do you feel like people need like a ticking clock? Like, do you feel like that's something that a lot of people, when they read a book, like they need that tension to sort of pull them through the pages? Is that something that, how's your read on that sort of thing? Is there space enough for both uh, well, maybe? Uh, I think there's definitely space for both and I have no problem. Sometimes I like a really pacey novel that, you know, hooks mm. you hooks you in. Um, a summer read or beach read or whatever that they market it as. But I think, I guess my sort of instinct is to question the notions of what we think a plot is as being pretty kind of Western white centric. Mm -hmm. And maybe I think the idea of like a story that's really just this kind of snapshot of a family is still a story or like, I don't necessarily see stories needing to be this kind of like really linear or plot based thing or, or they're even needing to be a plot for something to be um, a story. When I talk about this with my students and, you know, plot is something that comes up all the time my kind of question for them is you know what makes this a story to you Mm. Um, and having them define that for themselves because I think I don't know for me when I'm writing I need to know what it's about but I don't necessarily need it to be like okay let me sort of map it out on this grid and it's going to be one of the what is it 17 or 18 there's plots that um Whatever. They talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it feels, um, it makes, you know, I, 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 I'm with you. I love a Pacey. I mean, I'm looking at a stack of books I have on my desk here and, you know, half of them are that way and half of them are um, much more character-based. But I find, I found this book especially, it felt very true to life. And I think sometimes when I'm reading like a super plotty book about, which I love as well, but it sometimes does feel like I'm being told a story. And with the book like this, it felt much more like I got to, I got to be with this family. It felt very true to life. I don't know whether or not you feel that authenticity Mm. more or. Yeah, I think it's the intimacy though. And I think that that goes back to that idea that we were talking about earlier of these kind of gaps or the space. And I think the plot does that as well. Mm. Um, So in the same way that on the sentence level or kind of like sort of bit by bit, um, Kate Jennings isn't holding our hand. It does that with the plot as well. So you're forced to kind of draw these conclusions or make this sort of stories. And that, and that's, 
truer to real life, right? No one yeah. comes along and you're like, this is exactly the story. You kind of make the story <laughs> within your life. And, and you, know, you see it with friends that are really amazing storytellers. The same thing that could happen to them as to someone else, but they sort of twist it um, yes. in this way. Then it suddenly becomes really exciting. And I think that in that way, Kate Jennings sort of leaves that space for you then to make it into that kind of exciting retelling at the pub. Like there's some really um, here I'm here. I'm like spoiler alert again, but when um, Irene gets hit by the car and she's wearing the, the necklace, it's so dramatic, but it's left with so much space. Like we kind of yeah. get this whole sort of accident and then in hospital in two paragraphs yeah, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. I've actually got a quote from, um, and again, this is again, spoiler alert. <laughs> which we're too far in now. We need to stop saying it maybe. But um, I had this, I picked out this line because I felt like she's absolutely the best at understatement. And you're right. You end up investing your own drama into it, but she just doesn't put, she doesn't make meal out of it. So is it when Irene leaves Rex, right? And she just leaves him and their, their marriage is over. It says this at the start of chapter 61. It says, Irene walked out on Rex on a hot day in early January. And like, it's so understated. There's just, I don't know. I feel like other authors might've made, I know I would have tried to make more of a meal out of it and tried to make it more dramatic and, you know, weighty, but just there's something so, um, something so courageous about Kate Jennings not doing that and just letting, letting her audience, it's something, it's very respectful of the audience maybe, I don't know, but yeah, I, I, I found stuff like that just so fun to read. I just was like, oh my gosh, this has happened. And it's like you said, it's like a paragraph. How does she do that? Yes. Yeah, so for all of you people that want plot, all the listeners that are desiring plot, there's a lot of drama. There are juicy things that happen. Those are just a couple that's in three paragraphs, all that's happened. So imagine yeah. all that else that happens in the rest of the book. There is, yeah, there is a lot of plot, but it's not, you can imagine how it would go in a different book, right? You can imagine she's in the kitchen and she she starts yelling at Rex and Rex starts to have a go back at all the things that she's done in his life and how she's disappointed him. And then, but just nothing. It's just, she just leaves and it just feels true, but it also feels sad. And you have to really pay attention closely to the text because you miss Miss Chunks, I actually was reading uh, a Goodreads review and it said that she left a note for him about how his, uh, spoiler alert, about how his son, there's a lot of plot in here, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> about how his, his son is actually not his biological son. And she left a note for him to say that. And I was like, did she? I'd missed it. I think I'd, I'd, mm. I'd skipped over it at some stage. Do you remember that happening in the book? Well, I reread it, but I didn't read that as it wasn't his son, but I read it as it was his son, but that she wasn't over the American oh, okay. soldier. Right. And so in this really kind of cruel way, she had named her son with him after this other man that she hadn't got uh, over. Okay, with. maybe the Goodreads reviewer got it wrong, but I, I'd completely lost that part of the book. It must've been, you know, I, when I read some books, there'll be certain sections where I'm like, yeah, I get I get what the building looks like and I'll move down to the next thing. But I probably accidentally from habit did that with Kate Jennings and missed huge dramatic <laughs> moments, unfortunately. I as a as a person that's read this three times, 
I think that it's one of those books that keeps giving though. Like I actually mm-hmm. think that's the beauty of it. Um, and I th- don't necessarily know if it was your lack of close reading. I don't think it was that. I think it's that it's so dense and it's such a yeah. short book, but it is so dense that every time you come back to it, it just keeps giving. There's always something new to find another little, I guess, Easter egg. It's mm. um, a good way of putting it. Um, There was actually a bit of a debate I saw recently on Twitter about um, whether or not you could call this book a novella. And I think it might be slightly above the word limit for a a typical novella, but it does feel like a novella. What's your take on that? Do you have like a... What's the word limit for... I think they were saying, I think they were saying Gatsby was like a little over 50 and that's considered a novel. And so something about 30 to 40 was more of a novella and it was up closer to a 50, I think. This one's 50. I think. I'm, I could have this wrong. This, it, I dipped in and out of the Twitter thread, if I'm being real. But um, it was some debate. Can you consider it a novella? Because hmm. I would guess that it was 30, but that's because it's just my ambition is to write a 30,000-word book. So mm. I'm always on the lookout for what I think 30 feels like, what 30,000 like feels like. Yeah. And I think it feels like a 30,000-word book. Mm. Um, but I'm not sure if it's a novella or if it's a short novel, but I don't know if I necessarily care about the distinction. I think, if anything, yeah. to me, like what's more exciting about this book, um, because I'm not that interested in genre, I think that, it, again, it's just a kind of marketing construct. It's just something that's kind of imposed to sell a book or or to, um, I guess, adhere to kind of certain white publishing standards. Mm. But I think what I'm excited about about this book is is actually that it, it's so poetic mm-hmm. um, that to me each kind of vignette reads like a poem. And it as does, a, sure. I'm not a poet. Um, but if I could be a poet, I would be. If I were a good enough writer to be a poet, I would be. So again, maybe that I like, what I like about the form is that it gives me hope. Like, oh, maybe I could write something hmm. poetic without being a poem. <laughs> poet without being a poem. But- no, I understand. I understand completely. Um, I think I'm sort of out of questions on this book, but um, I just want to really thank you for our chat, but I really thank you too for pointing me out to toward this book. It um I don't know whether you ever read any Dorothy Porter at all. Have you read Dorothy Porter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminded me of that. Like I had um I had to. I read that book because Emma Viskich um recommended it for this podcast a few episodes ago. And um those little fragments like you say, mm. those little fragments and those little poetic, and that was a, you know, that book is a work of poetry, but that's also a thriller. And I think, I think when you read books like this, that experiment with form in this way, that's very authentic to expression. It's not just doing it as a kind of gimmick, but it's just true to what the book needed to be. Like, I just, I feel, I feel richer for having read it. So thank you for, for choosing it. Oh, no problem. That The Monkey's Mask is another one of my favorite books. Surprise, surprise. Okay. Um, I, I love that book as well. And I think that there definitely are similarities, especially in how it writes Australia um, in a specific, I guess, kind of, oh, they're not that far away because I guess Blue Mountains and there is this. Um, it's set in the country somewhere. I thought it was New South Wales. I'm not exactly sure of where exactly. 
but yeah it's um Griffith I think New South Wales is the kind of rough area so yeah yeah, yeah. maybe we're still in the same we're definitely in the same part of the world because we're in Australia but um I feel like we're in a kind of similar space in those two mm. books so that's a great comparison mm. um Azira what's going on for you if you want to end on just sort of what's the next step for you and what are you where can people I don't know, are you speaking at events, you're teaching, you're writing, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> well, right now, right now I'm on maternity leave and I am fermenting ideas. Yeah. But where can you find me? You can't, you can find me in bookstores everywhere, in a bookstore <laughs> near you. And um, I think my voice hopefully comes out in, in that work too. So if you're really desperate to hear more of me, that's where you can find me. And then maybe... I'll have another book out one day. I will. I'm excited to read your novella or whatever it turns out to be. I would, I would really, I'm excited to read it to see what, because I love, I love the type of thing that you love, I love too. So I'm imagining mm -hmm. that I would really enjoy that. Yeah, it'll be hitting that, yeah, 25,000 words, just that kind of sweet spot, novella as you define it, um, short novel as I will tell my agent and publisher. <laughs> So hopefully they're actually, not listening to this. I had a I had a novella um shortlisted for the Viva La Novella Prize. Um and I didn't win, so it wasn't published. But I was really excited because that was the first thing I had sort of any sort of industry recognition for. I thought, oh yes, you know, this is shortlisted for a prize. Surely someone else is gonna like this. And I went and tried to shop it around and sent it to a few agencies and places like that, but they didn't even read it. They were just like, no. Nah these short novels don't sell at all as an entryway. And I was so disappointed mm. and disheartened. I was like, ah, oh. because you know how much of yourself you put into these things and then just to not even have it be read. So um, sorry, that's super deflating for you. Well, no, but now I want to know what's happening with it now because I think there's an argument to be made. The short novel's making a big comeback. This was in 2014. So this was a while ago. I haven't done anything with it. It's just sitting there. Oh, yeah, you should do something with it. I, I hate to let writing go to waste. It's actually my pet. It's like one of my, my, because I write so little. I'm like, every word must be used. I have to make something happen with every kind of bit of writing I have in some way. But I think get those comp titles out because there's a lot of short books that are coming out. And yeah, get, get talking. Maybe I get should. Get talking Maybe with your agent, left bank literary crew, and you got get two books coming out at once. Tell you what, if I ever get that book coming out, I'll uh, put you in the acknowledgements page. This oh, is for you. You don't have to, but but send it to me to blurb. I, I love the novella, so okay, send yeah. it my way. All right. Look at this, guys. Done this podcast. I've got some, <laughs> got some contacts I've made. I'm super happy. Um, <laughs> Paige, thank you so much. You've been awesome and I appreciate your time, um, you know, as a new mum and everything. So I appreciate you making the time for the podcast. Really thank you. thankful that you've been a part of it. So thank you. Thank you. It's been so much fun to be on and, and have a great night. Yeah, you too.